0: It's been a week where pig producers have started culling animals on-farm, whilst our country's leader seemingly makes a mockery of the problems facing the sector.
1: We've never been in this horrendous position where we're faced with a tsunami of pigs coming to wait and unable to actually move them off-farm.
0: Lincolnshire pig farmer Merrill Ward joins us this morning to discuss the situation, and one farmer's come up with a simple but effective way of notifying farmers quickly if anything happens to their livestock.
2: The public can text uh, a national number uh, and uh, alert the farmer to issues regarding livestock or anything on a farm, rural crime, etc.
0: Find out about Livestock Lookout in a moment. Sean Sparling's here with some timely agronomy advice. Kit Dickinson reviews the grain markets and we'll see what the weather holds in store for us later. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning I'm Steve Orchard, hope you've had a good week Ahead of the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow in a few weeks time the Countryside COP programme takes place this week, hosted by the ALA, NFU, UHU and AHDB. It's five days showcasing what the agri-food industry has achieved to date and providing ways to help farmers reach the industry's net zero goal by 2040. It's all online, you can host an event as well as watching or attending other virtual and live events. Starts tomorrow, the 11th and runs all week, search Countryside Cop. The AHDB is to wind down its quality standard mark scheme for the beef and lamb sectors from next March. The scheme was launched in 2004 and includes requirements which have seen a positive impact on meat quality such as age specifications and maturation times. The board now sees the focus shifting to the supporting science. And DEFRA Secretary George Eustace has said farmers will need to cut mineral fertiliser use quite considerably in order to meet the country's net zero emissions target. He said the vast majority of carbon emissions in agriculture are not carbon at all. It's actually nitrous oxide, which comes principally from mineral fertilisers. I seem to recall speaking recently of greater restrictions on the alternative of spreading organic fertiliser. It's been another bad week for the pig sector. Not only do we have many producers around the country having to face the heartbreaking and possibly financially ruinous decision to cull perfectly healthy and viable pigs, but in a video seen by thousands, our Prime Minister makes a mockery of the problems, clearly not understanding or appreciating the issues facing the sector concern or in some cases outrage has been expressed by the nfu the rspca and other organizations and there were protests outside the recent conservative party conference in manchester lincolnshire pig producer meryl ward joins us this morning meryl you've been doing this for 30 odd years have you ever known the sector as bad as it is at the moment
1: Uh, i haven't i've never in 35 years had a scenario where I've been unable to move my pigs off farm. Um, you know, in the past, we've had, we're all used to the pig cycle of prices going up and prices going down and health issues, etc. But we've never been in this horrendous position where we're faced with a tsunami of pigs coming to wait and unable to actually move them off farm.
0: How many pigs have you got yourself and how many of those should have gone to slaughter by now?
1: Um, We've got about 1,600 that have reached weight that are waiting on farm but haven't been able to go. It's been happening for about 10 weeks now, 10, 11 weeks, and we've been cut by about 25% a week. So it's a backlog that is continuing to mount. There's been absolutely no respite. Originally, we were told that people would come back from holiday and the situation would improve. We were told that uh, getting to October and uh, the furlough scheme ending and then the situation might improve, and there's been absolutely no change.
3: And we
0: were seeing stories of farmers, one in Yorkshire, particularly having to kill hundreds of piglets these last few days because of the labour shortages. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's nothing short of that.
1: Um If you're a farmer, your job is all about caring and nurturing for your animals. We all accept that they have to leave the farm, but they have a useful purpose when they go for slaughter. And I'm just astonished that that Boris, our Prime Minister, doesn't understand the difference between the slaughter uh, of animals going into the food chain and a completely needless cull of healthy animals that will go for, for waste. I mean, simply that, they will go for waste.
0: I'm sure you're talking about the video that uh, we've all seen over the last few days where he almost seems to make a joke about it and clearly doesn't get the point. Are any others in government any more likely to help? I'm thinking DEFRA, George Eustace, etc. This
1: laissez-faire approach appears to be government policy. and Boris repeatedly talked about an old, tired, failed model of low wages and low productivity. And he's completely failing to recognise that we are a high-wage, export-generating, tax-generating, highly productive, unsubsidized supply chain that is actually broken because of policies that he is sticking to and that his, his intransigence is actually going to lead to this horrific kill.
0: Would temporary work visas which many in the pig sector have called for to, for workers to go into abattoirs actually solve the problem i mean we've we've had a situation where not many it seems hgv drivers have taken up the offer do you think it will be any different in abattoirs
1: we know that there are workers uh, in other parts of the world not necessarily the eu um skilled butchers and factory operatives that would come to this country the issue at the moment is that the barriers for them to come in on the skilled uh, workers' occupation list, and so skilled butchers meet the salary wage requirements, but the administration and the hoops that have to be gone through means that they wouldn't actually get here till February, March time. And we actually need them now, this week, next week.
0: Well, yeah, when we're approaching Christmas, obviously, retailers need to meet the demand. What are they going to do? Will they just be importing?
1: That's already happening. If you go and look on Tesco shells in particular, um, they're absolutely stacked high with German, Danish, Spanish pork. It, it is great because Boris has also, in his wisdom, pushed back border control, so the animal and uh, plant health checks that were meant to come in in October and now not happening till July of next year. So that meat is flooding into the country, it's not produced to the standards that we have in this country, Um, and it is just replacing high welfare British pork on the shelf, which is stuck on the farm.
0: From a purely financial point of view for for you as a farmer, if you then have to cull X hundred pigs, do you get any compensation?
1: Uh, There's absolutely no compensation, and I keep coming back to the point that we're, a completely unsubsidized industry. We stand on our own two feet. And of course, the finances are important because at the end of the day, you have to have a profitable business to be able to continue in business. But the real problem at this point in time is the practical challenge of what we do with these normally of pigs that are left
0: on farm. Meryl, thank you very much for your time, appreciate you joining us on the programme
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Well let's hope something gets done and quickly. I was at the Lincolnshire Showground last Monday watching loads of kids learning about the county and its agriculture and bumped into Debbie Wilson of Ladies in Pigs teaching kids to make sausages. She was concerned not just about now but the future. Every part of the agricultural sector is the same, where are
1: tireless to, to produce this high quality, high welfare food for our tables, and this is what we're teaching the children today. Um, We want an industry for these
0: children to join and, and be part of when they become adults. We're trying to inspire them to become part of the industry, and we need support from our government to make it right. Well, I can only hope someone's listening. Well done to those whose work and commitment to agriculture has been recognised this week by the Award of Associate or Fellowship status by the Council for Awards of the Royal Agricultural Societies one of whom is our very own Sean Sparling. Huge and well-deserved congratulations, Sean.
4: Yeah, morning to you Steve, yeah, thank you very much indeed I'm very humbled to have been given fellowship of the Royal Agricultural Societies this week by Her Royal Highness the Princess Royal at the House of Lords at the ceremony on Tuesday, along with about 35 or so others in the afternoon and a similar number in the morning, all from all over the UK Uh, At any one time there are around 400 associates of the Royal Agricultural Societies of England and around 800 fellows at any one time, about 1,200 in total and I've just been upgraded to fellow of the Royal agricultural societies now so I'm absolutely tickle pink. bit starstruck as well if I'm going to be perfectly honest by Princess Anne. She asked me if I had much to do with livestock in a predominantly arable county. I told her that actually there's an awful lot of livestock across Lincolnshire. Beef, pork, sheep, poultry right across the county and that actually my grandad used to breed and rear Lincoln Red cattle and she said oh Lincoln Reds they're tasty. Then she said what's it like dealing with farmers every day and I said you need to be quite a farmer whisperer this time of year, to which she said, farmer whisper, eh? I bet that doesn't work. So she knows her onions. And do you know, she had a topical and on-point, very knowledgeable conversation with every single awardee. There was no repetition and she seemed genuinely interested. So very, very proud to have been part of the whole thing and actually continuing to be part of UK agriculture. But my heart and soul lives right here in Lincolnshire where I was bread and buttered. So let's move on to agronomy then. 40-odd miller rain so far this month for me. And as I said last week, I'm grateful to it for holding back drilling on the blackgrass land in particular. The blackgrass is barely coming. You know, maybe 20% of the blackgrass out there is emerged on such a high dormancy year. So, the more that we can do with not drilling at the moment and just utilizing these stale seed beds, the wet weather's making us stay out, the better. You know, where is it now? What are we, the 10th of October? And in a season where that blackgrass dormancy is so high, it could be a big mistake drilling too early into blackgrass fields in a year like this. The last thing you want is after spending all that money on expensive pre-emergent herbicides which then fail to stop that inevitable flush in a couple of weeks' time and having to rip up fields of winter wheat and start again. So the weather gods are helping agronomists for now, but I know it'll soon be time they turn around and start helping the farmers instead. But with that switch from wet, cold, windy stuff in the first half of the week to the warm, low-twenties, dry, warm, sunny stuff towards the, the end of this week, hopes are now rising that if it stays like this, you know, It could just have set us up for a cracking autumn drilling campaign. It'd be nice to get back to those Octobers where we had a few damp days in the month and the rain was spread out, making drilling always a challenge in October as it cools down but achievable, rather than the seemingly new normal where we get all the rain for the month and about 20 minutes on the second of the month and then it takes the rest of the month to dry out ready for the next lot of rain. Still, nothing we can do about that either way. Remember, when you do get drilling to drill that seed at least 40 mils deep and get it covered. That needs It needs to be covered in order to protect it from the likes of Flucenicet, Pendimethalin, Diflufenacan, Prosulfacarb, Triolate, um, Avidex in particular because it's selectivity by depth protection in a lot of cases. So make sure the seeds are safe. Also watch the conditions. You know, it's proper wet now, so it, it does have the capacity to just, that water in the soil, wash those herbicides down to where the seeds are. And I I know that quite often the visible bleaching effect you get from DFF are going to be transient and it will grow out of that but it can be much more long-lasting damage from direct contact from things like Flufenacet and Triolate, Avodex XL. So speak to your advisor Pay a bit of attention to the seed beds and give things a chance to dry into some sort of manageable seed beds that you've already whipped out a flush of blackgrass from. Um, so that when you drill it, you get that pre-em on as soon as possible before the seeds chip, preferably within probably three or four days if you can after the drill. So drill it, roll it, spray it. If you can't get the pre-em on, don't drill it if it's a bad blackgrass field. That's not a bad mantra to have. Also be aware of the restrictions on total doses over certain periods. with. Things like ethofumesate and now, which we have in our armory, don't forget you use those actives in all seed rape and sugar beet in your rotation, so don't exceed the label guidance. Slugs popping up everywhere as well now, so be alert to them too, particularly in drilled wheats on the knottier, heavier fields, particularly where you've had a history of slug issues. And pick a pellet when you do go that will, you know, just stand a little bit of weather on it. The wet process pellets probably better for that. Barley yellow dwarf virus still remaining a threat, so be vigilant to bird cherry oat aphid the winged aphids are out there now in places and treat if thresholds are reached I've yet to see that out in my fields I have seen the odd aphid but nothing like threshold but all the indications are it could just be an issue this year with the numbers that are being trapped particularly if you've already got a crop through the ground that was drilled mid-September and it's not the variety Wolverine but only treat the pest don't treat the rumour or the hearsay drilling now aiming around 250 plants a square metre going up by 25 plants every 10 days or so established plants going into the spring that is so also know your thousand grain weight etc and make sure it's not just a guess and there's some science involved all seed rapes, slugs like in that as well at the moment along with the pigeons and the cabbage stem flea beetle still in that mix metacloro applications soon need to be on but clethodim for blackgrass whereas that also needs to be on by the end of this month you need the blackgrass there to kill it so with it only just pricking through the ground it's probably best to keep your powder dry for a couple of weeks yet Clethodim is not residual after all. Also, still very little disease out here in the orchid ray. That could change. FOMA levels very, very low. Light leaf spot hard to find, hard to see. Although we do know that light leaf spot can be very high levels latent within the leaf that we can't see. So, But ask your agronomist about autumn fungicide strategies and why you're doing it. Remember, you only get three weeks protection against light leaf spot. So you're not getting control. So the colder it gets, the more you wonder if it's actually worth it later on in the autumn but again speak to your advisor about that so sugar beet going really well out here it's yielding well it's blooming well needed to after last year so thank goodness for that small mercy look that'll do let's see what next week brings
0: many thanks as ever sean sean sparling f-r-a-g-s of sparling agronomy services so a walker sees some of your livestock escaped from your field They don't know to whom they belong, who to tell, how to tell them. They'll probably just walk on and you're none the wiser. Tim Rogers farms on the Isle of Wight and having had this happen to him, came up with a solution. Tim, good morning. Good morning to you, Steve. You're a farmer on the Isle of Wight. You've come up with a system whereby people who notice a problem on the farm can text or call a number. What experience led to this idea? Something must have sparked this.
2: It certainly did. Uh, We had a a tenant on the farm uh, running some cows and unfortunately uh, those cows, unbeknown to us, got out onto a nearby footpath uh, causing uh, considerable damage to uh, gardens, uh, knocking somebody over and even damaging a car. And the first we knew about it was uh, on the local Facebook pages of the Isle of Wight uh, farming community where people were saying, uh, who do these cows belong to, how can we contact uh, the person responsible for them?
0: That's the difficulty, isn't it, that animals get out very difficult unless you know the area, to identify whose they are and where they've come from. So what did you come up with?
2: My first idea was to put a, a border up alongside um, the public footpath with my mobile telephone number on it, which I did. We were then uh, inundated with calls, but not regarding livestock, sadly. <laughs> uh, people were asking us if they could come camping on the farm, whether they could go metal detecting and dirt biking. So it wasn't really what we envisaged and we realized that um, this was going to be a problem if we were giving out personal contact details
0: so what did you
2: do? Well we came up with the idea of Livestock Lookout, that's really where it was born we used the uh, intelligent technology systems that are out there now and we came up with the idea of having a central contact number whereby a farmer can remain anonymous and therefore by the public can uh, text uh, a national number and alert the farmer to issues regarding livestock or anything on, on a farm rural crime etc and that message gets through to him but, say keeps his identity and contact details are totally private.
0: So there are boards at various places around the farm and you text or call this central number how does that system then identify where the caller is
2: as you say the boards are located around the farm and they're movable so if stock are moving from one location to another a farmer can move the boards with the stock and each board has a unique number on it so when uh, a passerby notices an issue on the land they can text as you say or call this uh, national number and the first question they'll be asked is what that unique location number is. So they will enter that into the system, and that links that board with the farmer uh, responsible for that area.
0: There must be a cost to this, either to the, the person making the call or to the farmer that's uh, getting the calls.
2: So the cost to the member of the public that notices an issue is the standard uh, text rate from their mobile phone provider. Uh, we're asking farmers to pay an annual subscription for the service and they can find details of that depending on the number of boards that they have uh, on our website.
0: Is this just something local to you, or have you rolled it out across the country yet, or what's the plan? So we trialled the system
2: here on the Isle of Wight. We issued uh, quite a number of boards to uh, local farmers here, uh, and it's been very well received. They've given us feedback that um, the members of the public have reported genuine issues to them via the service, and it was really because of that that we decided to roll it out nationally, which we've done now. Uh, and again, it's been very well received uh, nationally. And we have had uh, tremendous support from both uh, the National Farmers Union, who are very keen to, to see this uh, technology used to help with rural crime, and uh, especially with uh, livestock worrying, which is uh, you know, a growing issue, where people are walking now more during the pandemic but also we've had support on the other side as well the, uh, the ramblers have been uh, very keen to discuss the merits of this with their members because many people sadly walking today as you know Steve are probably unaware of the countryside code and the dangers that uncontrolled dogs can pose to livestock.
0: Absolutely and is there any kind of issue with confidentiality or data use yeah.
2: I don't think so. Um, say, uh, All the, uh, the farmers' data at this end at our offices are kept protected. We would never disclose a farmer's identity or contact details to a member of the public. Using our national number, that ensures that
0: that will always happen. And from the caller's point of view, you're not using their data in any other way?
2: No, we don't record their data at all. So uh, say it's all done via intelligent technology using a bot system.
0: What's the website that somebody could go to for more information? So our website is livestocklookout.com,
2: where say, you can find uh, further details about the service, the benefits it provides and the costs involved.
0: All right, Tim, well, good luck with the national rollout. Thank you, Tim Rogers.
2: Thank you very much, Steve.
0: To the grey markets now with his weekly review, Fields Kit Dickinson, morning,
3: Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Russia has introduced export taxes, which continue to rise, and reports this week are that quotas will cap exports at 31.5 million metric tonnes, neither of which have been successful in their stated objective of lowering the internal prices for Russia. The Russian ag are now forecasting a larger crop than seemed possible, albeit still well below last year, following a short momentum drop on the daily yields report, which do not appear to fit the agenda. Meanwhile, exporters are busily shipping Russian wheat in an attempt to get ahead of the ever-increasing export tax, which the head of the Russian Export Union stated there were no issues with and that wheat exports would be at 37.5 million metric tonnes. Clearly, something is wrong. The US attaché for China this week increased the 2020-2021 Chinese maize imports by 30 million metric tons. The USDA had it at 26, whilst forecasting a lower 2021-2022 imports of 20 million, citing few weather or pest-related production disruptions this year. So despite widespread media coverage of biblical floods, droughts, and an army of worm infestations, it would appear that they have once again managed to produce a record crop. Fact or propaganda? Global demand continues apace and continues to be understated, which at some point the USDA will need to address. A case in point is Iran, whose crop was severely damaged by drought and private forecasts, put the production at 4.5 million metric tonnes with an import requirement of 8 million metric tonnes against the USDA's current data forecast of 15 million metric tonnes and 2.5 million metric tonnes of imports on top of that. Reports suggest that at least 4 million metric tonnes has already been bought, mainly from Russia and other Middle Eastern countries, have similarly been affected. So moving forward to barley this week, little news in the marketplace other than a slow grind higher in values. Once again, domestic markets are following the lead of the free on board market, itself being supported by the ongoing European interest. The debate continues on crop size, with various analysts suggesting some large swings in potential area. One or two issues have been seen this week with quality problems cropping up, so with the end of October rapidly approaching, it is worth ensuring that your parcels are correctly conditioned for the end markets you are selling to. Meanwhile, there have been inquiries for crop 2022 spring barley values, so worth checking with your local Openfield Farm Business Manager for these values along with the latest news and views. Looking at all seed rope this week, energy markets have dominated headlines as this has in turn supported the veg oil sector, which has supported the feed values. Mati Futures have seen a €20 euro gain over the week, which has pushed up UK values as the market reacted to the crude oil touching $80 a barrel and Canadian canola hitting the intraday highs. Market focus will now be on the Chinese purchases following the Golden Week holiday, which finishes on Friday, ahead of the USDA crop report released on Tuesday. Veg oil markets add support, with palm oil values touching record levels, and the Salen government currently limiting the influx of the foreign workers to work the plantations, and thereby curbing the production ideas. At the same time, when key customers like India and China are increasing their imports, what will the effect be? Ongoing talk of dry conditions in South America keeps focus on soybean markets on the new crop position. The Australian crop expectations remain positive, but how much will make it to the EU as freight rates continue to soar? UK values continue to move higher as cash markets suffer from a lack of liquidity. This is limited and has been seen offered forward. However, the Christmas position is now starting to get full. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat for October is 194 to 196, for November 200 to 202, February 205 to 207, and May 208 to 210. Milling wheat premiums are currently 33 to 35 pounds. Feed barley for October, still very good values at 181 to 183. November, 183 to 185. February, 186 to 188. May, 189 to 191. Bolting barley premiums are circa 30 to £35 pounds for the very best samples. And all seed rope this week, we have seen a good rise. November, 555. February, 558. And May, 2022, 561. Thank you, as ever,
0: Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. High pressure dominates, which means a settled and mostly dry week with highs in the mid-teens. Sunday sees a gentle northwesterly breeze, some sunshine, dry with a high of 17. Much the same for Monday, but we may see some light rain and it will be a couple of degrees cooler. Tuesday sees the wind veering to the north, but staying in single figures MPH. Again, some light rain possible in the early hours. Otherwise, a mostly cloudy day with highs in the mid-teens Celsius. Wednesday and Thursday look dry with sunny spells, a light westerly, and warmer with highs up to 18, similar but a couple of degrees cooler to end the week. Finally, congratulations again to Sean Sparling, fellow of the Royal Agricultural Society. He's back next week, as am I, until 7am next Sunday, or whenever you want, if you listen online or via your smart speaker. I'm Steve Orchard, with no letters after my name. Have a good week.